I feel too angry and depressed to be funny, you know? Yep. Hello, welcome to Ten Cent Takes, the podcast where we covertly stick it to the patriarchy, one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Fraser, and I'm joined by my co-host, our ally in outrage, Mike Thompson. Are we actually covert? We're not that covert. I was trying to give us too much credit. I was going to say. <laughs> the purpose of this podcast is to study comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We want to look at their coolest, weirdest, and silliest moments, as well as examine how they're woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. If you're enjoying the show so far and want to help us grow, it'd be a huge help if you'd rate and or review us on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Good Pods, because that really helps with discoverability. Friendly reminder, we've pulled our content off of Spotify given how the platform is continuing to actively promote voices spreading vaccine disinformation. Today, we are going to be discussing a topic which should be a point in history, but has instead recently been called back into question in a very real and threatening way. We're going to be discussing the comic Abortion Eve, starting with how it ties into history at the time it was written and the purpose and plot of the comic itself, and how it ties back into what's happening today, because I know Mike and I both have some feelings. Yeah, we, uh, I don't know. Everything sucks right now, guys, and there's no other way to put it. Yeah, so this will be more of a mini episode. We're going to cut out our, our other kind of intro bits, and we are just going to focus on our main topic, which is the comic Abortion Eve. And let's intro why we're doing it at this point, because last Friday, the Supreme Court officially overturned Roe versus Wade. And so now a lot less women in this country have access to safe abortions at any stage for any reason, which it's calling into a question a lot of our other rights that we have, contraceptives, some other things. The Supreme Court has also been pulling some other shenanigans with tribal sovereignty rights going against 300 years of treaty with the sovereign nations. Yeah. And I mean, that's not even beginning to cover all the other bullshit they've been pulling with the recent court decision about the EPA and concealed weapon carrying. It's real bad. And we had another episode planned for this week and wound up scrambling at the last minute because we felt this was something that was a little bit more important to talk about. So that'll hit in two weeks. Yeah, we can push a fun episode. That's fine. You guys will get some fun stuff. But this is really important to both of us. And Mike and I have been having a lot of off-air chat about it just amongst ourselves. And I know it's been weighing on both of us. So figured we would jump in there and commiserate with everyone and talk a little bit about history and what's happened in comics back then, because there are some relevant comics from then. Yeah. So before we roll into it, let's start off with references. And I will say that Mike did the research for this, so I appreciate you, Mike. Well, likewise. And we're also going to list these references in the show notes. So first we have an article online, The Bust, Orange County's War on Underground Comics. Next one is an article, Women in Underground Comics. The next is an online article, The Comic Book That Guided Women Through Abortion Months After Roe. The next is another online resource Roe vs. Wade comics 
Ohio State University's Bill Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum, the Abortion Eve comic, Who Killed Junior comic, and both of these comics are hosted on the personal site of Ethan Persoff, who archives and shares rare and unusual comics. All right, so let's get into the comic as it sits in the historical context of the time. So this comic was supposedly published in November 1973, and almost every source says November, but the title page only cites 1973, so roughly 10 months after Roe v. Wade was decided, and the comic was by Nanny Goat Productions. Nanny Goat was an underground comics publisher founded by Joyce Farmer and Lynn Shevley as a counter to the majority of underground comics at the time, which tended to be very male-focused and misogynist. Shortly before Roe v. Wade, California had liberalized its abortion laws with the Therapeutic Abortion Act of 1967, but the law was still far from truly liberal. Before Roe, California women seeking abortions needed doctors, a gynecologist and two specialists, quote-unquote, in the field, to submit recommendations on their behalf to the hospital where the abortion would take place. Then, a committee of physicians approved or denied the application, so that's a ton of freaking hoops. Also, only women who could pay for therapeutic abortions, those needed for medical reasons, could even get them. Yeah, so it was just a lot of bureaucratic and financial hoops that people had to jump through. It was better than it had been. You know, back alley abortions weren't quite as common a thing, but at the same time, it still wasn't easy. The civil rights movement was still, in reality, going on at the same time. And women were, at this point in time, still very much second-class citizens. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, 1973 is not that long ago. So Farmer had to go through this process in 1970 after her IUD failed. So she was already doing the right thing. She had an IUD, but it failed on her. She already had a 12-year-old son and was putting herself through school. And the psychiatrist she met with originally told her she was mentally fit to be a mother. And she basically said she would kill herself if she was forced to carry the child to term. And so as a result, the psychiatrist changed their recommendation. That's so bonkers. Like the fact where you have to sit there and say, I will kill myself if you make me carry this thing to term. Yeah. And some of the states have had trigger laws that mm-hmm. went into place. And so once Roe versus Wade was overturned, those trigger laws went into place. And in some states, yeah, they can't even get an abortion for any reason, medical or otherwise. You know, it's going to be difficult for people to get contraceptives in some place, which, how wild is that? It's insane. And then there was a story in the last day or two out of, I think, Ohio, where a 10-year-old who had been raped had to be sent to Indiana because she couldn't get an abortion, even though yeah. she's 10. Yep. 10 years old literally still a child. Yeah. And that was a family member that did that to her. And she's, yeah. And so of course she's having to not only deal with this consequence, which it's funny to me that this is such a a person with a uterus's problem, quote unquote, and never the man's problem. There's no consequences. Yeah. And I mean, the people on the other side of this argument are always talking about personal responsibility and and sitting there and passing a lot of moral judgment. And then when you sit there and ask about this, they basically just throw up their hands. People have literally been saying things like, nobody's forcing you to have sex. And it's It's like this kid literally was forced to have sex. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. That was a woman that said that, I think. It was either, I don't know, either a woman or there, there have been so many trash opinions. So I could be very wrong about that. 
There was that one Utah senator who said something about like how women can control the intake of sperm into their body. And I'm like, oh, my, we got to start requiring that you pass basic knowledge checks to get elected to certain offices. It's 10 years after that jackass Todd Aiken who sat there and talked about how women's bodies could naturally abort right. a fetus. Ugh, like. Right. Oh, yeah. No, it's I would argue that they know that they're wrong in those situations. But they know that people will believe them if he screams loud enough about some weird shit like that. <laughs> I almost guarantee you he knows better. But his, yeah. his fucking constituency doesn't. And back then, like when that happened, basically, even the GOP was pressuring him to drop out of the race. I don't think he did, but he basically got canceled real hard because everyone was like, what the fuck is this trash opinion? And these days, yeah. he was just a decade too early, if they said it now. Yeah, it's... um. Sorry, everyone. We got some real hot political takes right now. We have opinions. Big opinions. Yeah. And the other thing is that the court has said that they're going to start gunning for same-sex marriage and queer protections and things like that, too. And here's my deal, is that all of these things that they're overturning, what do they lead to? They lead to felonies. Mm -hmm. And what can't felons do? Can't vote. Felons can't vote. Yeah, this is an act of voter suppression, which is already taking place in our society and the system, but which is just ramping up. Like, we already have a racial bias against people of color, and they are disproportionately incarcerated yeah. as compared to white people. That's not an opinion, guys. Like That's not an opinion. Those are facts. I could pull numbers. <laughs> like, the favorite online argument is, like, if you Google it, go Google it, seriously. Like You could Google this, yes. Yeah. Uh, we're already causing a larger demographic of people not to be able to vote. So we are just increasing that number with people who get or perform abortions, people who get miscarriages. I've heard the places if you get a, if you have a miscarriage, it's just what there. These are just these are insane things. So, yeah, back to Nanny Goat. So before before all this IUD business with Farmer Nanny Goat published Tits and Clits which is a sex-positive feminist series that was published on and off until the late 80s, and Pandora's Box, which is another series. At the same time, both women were working as pregnancy counselors and wanted to help dispel abortion myths and provide matter-of-fact information about the procedure. Farmer and Shevley were based in Orange County at the time, and their comics actually were targeted by the police. Shevley and her husband had owned an underground bookstore called Fahrenheit 451, which they recently sold, and the new owners were arrested for the crime of selling and distributing pornography, quote-unquote, after a police detective bought some underground comics and a deputy district attorney determined that they were, quote-unquote, without redeeming social value. And if you <laughs> want to learn more about what was going on with pornography and obscenity laws, please definitely go back and listen to Our Pride and Joy, which is our Debbie Does Dallas episode. Mike, what number yeah. was that? That's your, oh. that's your baby. Oh, man. Never expected to hear the words Debbie Does Dallas and my baby. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. It's 20 something, I think. It's 20. So it's episode 28. Yeah. Perfect. Episode 28. So yeah, check out that one. So Abortion Eve, the comic, was apparently, again, published in November, and the arrest happened that December. 
and that's in 1973. Right after the new owners were arrested, in an article by the Comic Legal Defense Fund called The Bust, Orange County's War on Underground Comics, Joyce told Lynn what happened. Over lukewarm cups of coffee, the two women quickly arrived at the conclusion that they, not the Wilsons, were the real targets of the bust. The police must have thought that Lynn still owned Fahrenheit 451 and that busting the bookstore would lead them directly to Lynn and Joyce's underground comics business. Yeah, and that was a a good article, so check it out if you have the chance to learn more about that. Yeah, and also the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund has a lot of really great pieces about censorship and just like how it has been wielded against comic books over the years. And they're a really great organization and they are absolutely worthy of your money and your donations. And they also will sell special books. Like I think right now they have some Neil Gaiman signed stuff that you can buy. So we'll include links to that too in the show notes. Our buddy Neil. (laughs) Neil, come on the show talk with us. (laughs) Please, friend. (laughs) Wouldn't that be something? So the case actually caused Nanny Goat to pause their production for a while as the case dragged on for years. And Nanny Goat wouldn't have survived the fines and legal ramifications. Around the same time as Abortion Eve was published, a cartoon pamphlet called Who Killed Junior was released by Right to Life now the National Right to Life Committee, and it's an offensive collection of pro-life scare tactics and shame-oriented arguments that we're still seeing today. These days, it's discovered by the internet every now and then, and everyone laughs at it out of disbelief. It's insane. I, I had seen it years ago, and I'd forgotten about it until I discovered it again on, uh, on Ethan Persoff's site. And it's just, it's this weird collection of like half truths and misinformation. And, you know, they present the fetus as like a fully formed person. It's real bad. Yeah. You know, that jelly beans just always person shaped and everything. It's perfectly formed in there. It just gets bigger and bigger. That's not how that works. That's not how that works, everyone. It's so bad. Clumps of cells for so long. (laughs) Well, and the other thing is these are the same arguments that they're still using 49 years later. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Mike, do you want to give us a quick overview of the plot of Abortion Eve, the comic? Yeah, sure. It's it's really interesting because this is very much an underground comic. It's very simply drawn and it's much more heavy on the dialogue. Almost every page is just solid text with some heads providing context. It's actually kind of a long comic. It's 37 pages, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and basically it follows five women, and they're all named variations of Eve. And so they meet with a pregnancy counselor named Mary Multiperry, and she guides them through the process of obtaining abortions. They come from all walks of life. There's a woman named Eva who is... Okay, I do have to note that there is a bit of judgment, because Eva is this hippie who smokes a lot of pot, what they call dope smoking in the comic. Yeah. And is just like a complete space cadet. And like at one point, I think like when she actually goes in for the procedure, it turns out she ate breakfast that morning because she was starving from having gotten really high the night before. There's a little bit of judgment there. And she also had an abortion prior. And then they were like, we need to take birth control. And she's like, well, that's like a lot of work. I'm like, okay. Well, I was going to, but then I just didn't. 
<laughs> yeah. It's, I have to say that the women are all very broad stereotypes and they are, they're not quite blatantly offensive, but they skirt right up to it. Real so close. they get real close. They don't quite cross that line, but it's, it's closer than I would like. So there's also, there's a woman named Evelyn who she's older, she's like in her 40s, she's a, a white college professor, and she's already got a couple of kids, and she's very clearly like upper middle class. There's also Evie, who is a white teenager, and she's Catholic, and then I think she is actually dating Evelyn's son, but we're not sure. Yeah, turns out, if that's what they made it seem like, because I yeah. felt like they were holding hands in one frame. Yeah, but there's also the bit where she's like, oh, she looks like the little slut that my son's dating when she's doing her internal monologue. I'm like, whoa, okay. Yeah, keeps her picture in the underwear drawer. Oh, yeah, and I'm like, what are you doing in his underwear drawer, first of all? but like Exactly. Okay, that's a whole other conversation. And then there are two other women. There's Eve, who is a working black woman. And then there's Evita, who is Latina. And Evita has three daughters with a guy who she refers to as her old man. And then she reveals that he's got someone else on the side and that he wants to have sons. She has three daughters with him. He won't pay for them at all. So she already works like two jobs. Yeah. So three of the women are like already moms and they're just like having a child is a lot of work and they're pretty upfront about it. I think Eve says it's basically if you have a kid, it's two years of slavery and then 16 years of responsibility, which I thought was yeah. really great way to describe it. I thought that was an interesting way to describe it for sure. Yeah. But yeah, they originally meet up and it's almost like a group therapy session. And then they all decide to go through the procedure. And then they wind up all having the procedure on the same day. And like, it's implied that it's almost like a group setting. I don't think that's actually what was meant, but that's just the way that it's illustrated. Yeah. And then it gives you a lot of information about how the procedure works, what's needed for it, things like local and general anesthetics, the different types of procedures that they have. It's a lot. They don't actually show the procedure itself, which is good, but they don't skirt around anything. They're very upfront about everything. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And it ends with a page that basically offers places you can go for resources about the procedures and things like that. And birth control. It was actually a very different comic than what I was expecting based on the the text that they have on the inside cover where it's actually really funny talking about like, oh, there've been lots of people who've never gotten pregnant. <laughs> They're all men. <laughs> like every president yeah, of the United right. States hasn't gotten pregnant. Yeah. It's actually, I was really surprised that something this progressive was released that long ago. Yeah. Like even if it was an underground comic, it doesn't matter. Like societally, you know, this was something that was still brand new for a lot of people and was incredibly divisive. I, I don't know if it was more divisive than it is now, simply because I wasn't alive during that time. I don't have any context. But right. Yeah. yeah, I like that the comic is overall a very step-by-step -step instructional guide. I actually found mm -hmm. it really informative as to some of the steps that pregnant people might have to take in order to terminate a pregnancy. Yeah. And like I said, you know, it gets a little judgy with Eva. Otherwise, it doesn't really sit there and make it seem like anyone is making this decision casually, which is something that I appreciated. Yeah. And it was interesting to me because Evelyn was the one who was like thinking like the judgiest thoughts. She was like judging everyone for the way they lived or how many kids they already had or whatever. And she didn't tell anybody that she was actually also there for an abortion. She until like, 
until after later, yeah. the procedure. Yeah. She just, she told everyone that she was just there to get her tubes tied. Right. Yeah. That was this weird, like judgy thing where she had to come to terms with it herself, but it seemed like the people who were younger than her had a much easier time of doing so. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. I think it'd be something that would be interesting to share out to people with better resources. Yeah. The interesting thing, though, about this comic is that it is not easy to find physically. Like, I had to do a lot of digging, and I found a an okay conditioned copy of it, but it was a lot of work. And people that are selling it are asking about 50 bucks right now for pretty ratty copies, mostly. And <laughs> someone was asking for $1,000 on eBay for it. I was like, good luck. What? Yeah, okay. I'm like, whatever. Sure, sure, sure. But this is a topic that's not going away. It has continued to be represented in every form of mainstream media since then. And I don't know. It's very strange to me that we are suddenly living through something that seemed like it was resolved 50 years ago. I don't know about resolve because I do want to touch on the fact that women's bodily autonomy has been in question this entire time because there yeah. are can there and have been and still are forced sterilizations wait what i'm sorry forced sterilizations you have not heard about this like at no. the border jesus christ in border camps yeah absolutely that came out a couple of years ago i'm sure that's still actively happening there are many women of color indigenous women who go into the hospital and are forcibly sterilized without their consent they just go into the hospital for something else and they come out sterilized that happened to jolene she's very open about that oh wow my co-host on bite sexual yeah that happened to her wow i had no idea so it's a whole problem and it's interesting because it's only now that white women are having the issue of having to face the idea of having to bear children that they don't want and this lack of choice that it's even being considered when this has already been happening to women in our country, like actively. Well, and I mean, that's a lot of the GOP crowd is they basically wave their hands and don't want to pay attention to anything until it directly affects them. And speaking from the experience of growing up in a very upper class GOP family, that is something that I definitely found over and over again. And not just in politics, but just in life in general, there there is that lack of empathy for others. And there, there is a really good essay by this guy named Adam Serwer, I think, from The Atlantic. He wrote an essay called The Cruelty is the Point. And it's now, he's published a book and it's like a collection of essays and stuff. But it's talking about how the MAGA crowd finds a sense of community by basically rejoicing in the suffering of everyone that they hate and or fear. And the thing is, is that we have 50 years of things getting progressively safer for marginalized people. They weren't great, but they were like safer. And then that sense of safety was suddenly shattered in 2016. It was just gone because it was just all these people who were very overt with their hatred of anyone who's even the slightest bit different were suddenly in power. And they were cackling about what they were going to do. Yep. Yep. Lying, openly lying about what they were going to do and then doing the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's hard not to feel like Sisyphus. Yeah. No matter how hard we work to achieve equality, it feels like the people that hate us for existing keep on kicking us back down the hill. And ultimately, the people who are in power are all, like, they're not going to live to see these out. They're all in their, they're between... 55 and like 
80, <laughs> like legitimately like, yep. right. Oh, let's wrap it up with the fact that I'm very open about this fact, but I'll mention it here too, is that I saw this coming with 2016 with that election, probably earlier than that, but I've been talking about it since then. Everybody who said I was overreacting, you owe me a direct apology. I'm looking at you, family. You don't listen to this, but you owe me an apology. I mean, <laughs> so I'm right there with you. I, yeah. I remember coming out to my dad on election night because I was just like, I don't understand how you could vote for someone who has harnessed hatred from people who wish that people like me at best do not exist. Exactly. Didn't really make any impact. What I had told my family, the analogy I used, I said, hey, so when they roll through town on their hypothetical trains where they're throwing people in, just know that I'm going to be one of those people on the train. So sit with that. How did they react to that? I'm curious. Personally. They said I was overreacting. They said I was overreacting. And I said, I don't think I am though. And here we are. So in, yeah, so last year I went and had a sterilization surgery and I was geared up for a fight when I went in to ask my GP, my general practitioner for the surgery, because I had an experience in the past where I had a doctor deny me an IUD because there was a very small chance that something could go wrong with an IUD just generally, and that could affect my ability to bear children. It wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what was healthy for me. It was what the effect was on my ability to bear children, which was so demeaning. And it just wasn't even about me. It was like about my body being able to produce something else. And so I ended up having to go to Planned Parenthood and get an IUD because my doctor wouldn't do it. So Planned Parenthood got me the birth control that I needed at that time. And then I had done the IUD for like 10 years and I've always known I didn't want kids, never wanted kids. So I was like, finally, okay, I just, I'm going to go ask for a surgery. I just want to be sterilized. So I went into my doctor's office, I geared up for a fight and I felt like I needed to make it really clear that this was a decision that I had been sitting on for a long time and that it wasn't reactionary to the political climate, even though it definitely was <laughs> partially. I just knew I needed to speed things up if I wanted to be able to take care of myself and be safe in this way. And so luckily I have a good doctor. And so she heard me out. And she's like, yeah, I think that's, we can definitely get that going for you. And she didn't put up a fight. She didn't like give me any gruff for it. She just was like, yeah, I'll get you the name of the doctor I would recommend for this. And got me a referral. And I went and talked to that doctor. And I was like, again, I was bristling up to go talk to that doctor with the same kind of spiel. And she was also great. And she was like, yeah, let's get you scheduled for surgery. You know, it was during the pandemic. It was in 2021. It was so, right before we you know, started was, this. I remember this. It was. It actually was right before we started this. Yeah, actually. Yeah. So it's been, yeah, it's been a year now and I don't regret it at all. I will never regret it. I'm the happiest I've ever been knowing that I'm not going to have a child that I don't want and that I don't financially have the ability to take care of, especially right. by myself. So yeah, that's my story. And I always like to share it because I'm a very open person and I feel like getting stories out there and hearing other people's experiences, like my experience is going to be a lot different. Like I have the privilege of being in a state 
where I have access to this type of healthcare, where I didn't get flack for having this request and getting this surgery was relatively easy for me. That's not going to be the case everywhere. And I really want to acknowledge that. Yeah, the fact that you went in bristling for a fight because of past reactions from other doctors says so much and it's so fucked. And if you know me in person, you'll know that I'm typically a pretty chill person when I meet new people or go into a situation. So that's pretty abnormal that I'd like feel nervous. But it's as a woman or as a female presenting person, you're not necessarily told that you're allowed to speak your needs or have needs or ask for things or take up space. And so those are all things that I still deal with as a female. So, yeah. Mm. So anyway, let's let's wrap her up. What do you say on that note? Yeah. Yeah. As we said, guys, we'll be back in two weeks with our our usual lighter content. Thank you very much for letting us discuss this and spending your time with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And until then, we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to 10 Cent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes are available on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Fraser and Mike Thompson, researched by Mike Thompson, written by Mike Thompson and Jessica Fraser, and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan MacDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who's at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to TencentTakes.com or shoot an email to TencentTakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. The official podcast account is TencentTakes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.